EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Well, here it is. Once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero, and what a great day it is. Anytime I have the opportunity to speak with this next guy, it's a great day. KG, Kelly Grayson, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm living the dream, man. Just Again with the dream. Chilling, sitting here chilling, waiting for someone to, to die. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> or or at least be moderately ill or injured in need of my services. Someone that you could save, maybe? How about that? It's it's nice to feel wanted. There, that's the thing. Well, I'm not going to say that I want you because that would be weird. <laughs> and that's where you draw the line at weird? Exactly. None of the other stuff. That's where you draw the line at weird. Okay. Well, for me anyway. For me anyway. <laughs> so, you know, Kelly... You know, we, we sit around and we think about what would be a really great show. And, you know, today's show, I think, is really a, a good topic. And it comes to us from our fearless leader, editor-in-chief, Greg Fries. And he had a really great article that he put up that really makes you think. And that was done on July 10th. And we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes. But Greg writes about, Fix the late call conundrum to improve retention. Two Australian paramedics are under investigation refusing a late call assignment because of being fatigued and it's a really good article and it really kind of makes you think and from a paramedic standpoint kelly you and i both know that that late Mm -hmm. call you know it comes in and uh it really kind of gives us a little bit of the uh i don't know the blood boiling feel the the pink leg what's the pink leg the the pink leg the pink leg is is when the red ass has creeped into the surrounding ah, tissues. I see. I see. <laughs> I didn't study that in school. We'll have to talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah, it has started to spread into surrounding tissues. I see, I see. <laughs> so, you know, as a paramedic, um, you know, you work uh, I worked for MedStar for a lot of years, which is a high performance EMS system in Fort mm-hmm. Worth. You know, they're close, I think, now to one hundred and fifty thousand calls a year. And it's a busy system, and you work 12-hour shifts or you work 16-hour shifts, and it wasn't unusual to get uh, 12 uh, 12 calls, 14 calls. But I think that there's a lot of things that go into getting the late call. You know, we do want to talk about the article, and we do want to talk about the situation, but one of the big things that go in from the 2018 EMS trend report was that retention was a critical issue facing EMS Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is being contributed to that is the fact that people are tired and those late call procedures aren't something that's really helping the motivation of a paramedic. And before we get into it, I just want to know what you think as you're still active in the field. And I know that you probably still get those late calls. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the truck I, I used to work before my current assignment, you know, I, I, I typically got anywhere from 12 to 20 hours of overtime every pay period from late calls. 
uh, late calls and, and long distance transfers. And, and, and I, I bitterly disagree with that, how those were handled, but I can understand it from a, a business standpoint. Um, but, uh, from, from, a crew rest and, 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 and provider satisfaction standpoint, uh, it, it was really, uh, morale corrosive. Um, I've, you know, I, you've heard me say it uh, many times on this podcast that, that uh, EMS, there's not a real paramedic shortage in EMS. What there is is a shortage of paramedics who are who are content to work in crappy working conditions, being run into the ground. Um, and I think that's, that's evidence of it here. Uh, that that's our you know part of that is is the uh, the root of the retention problem is 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 people are tired, they're overworked, uh, and they want to be treated and compensated fairly. So, yeah, I I can fully see not wanting to stay at a place that routinely uh, hits you with uh, mandated overtime and, and running you late and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, I'm lucky in the regard that, that my current employer, Acadian Ambulance, has has pretty clear-cut guidelines on that, uh, that that sort of prevent that sort of thing. Uh, but it still doesn't keep it from, uh, from happening. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes even the guidelines are, are insufficient to the, the current situation at hand. So, Kelly, I'm really curious, before we get into the conversation, what do those guidelines look like at Arcadian? Okay, well, um, there's a couple of things. Number one, um, uh, we uh, Acadian is a, is a good company in regard to that. Um, and for those, you who know, do, for those who don't know, Acadian is a private ambulance service, mm-hmm. for-profit ambulance service, right? Yeah, private for-profit ambulance service, largest employee-owned ambulance service in the world, as far as we know. But um, they... Uh, unlike many private ambulance services where they do, where Acadian does 911 and uh, inter-facility transfers, uh, Acadian will place priority on the 911 calls. That is, even though they're, you know, the bread and butter of any for-profit EMS provider is the transfers. Um, Acadian is going to place priority uh, on the public safety and, and the 911 aspect. So transfers often get held. Uh, and, and that's, I think that's a, a sound policy, not only business-wise, but public safety-wise. Uh, but certain hospitals learn to game the system. Uh, so we have a policy that uh, a STAT transfer, if they call it STAT, uh, it is dispatched like an emergency. Uh, and they, Acadian sends the closest truck, uh, the closest appropriate truck to run the emergency. You know, sometimes they... Uh, you know, uh, it's a critical care transfer, for example, and, and uh, they send the closest critical care truck rather than just their regular 911 ambulances. Um, the problem is, is it, uh, and when when certain uh, calls stay in the queue uh, for two for a certain period of time, they get automatically upgraded to, to stat. Uh, they don't want to keep people waiting too long. Uh, so often we're caught in you know, caught in, in that sort of situation where a call that's really not emergent uh, but has been waiting quite some time uh, is is upgraded in, in priority and, and we get we get hit with that one. Um, but for the most part, uh, uh, we only get sent on those late calls when there's no other option. Uh, the problem is is when the hospitals gain the system. Uh, so if you say uh, if they learn that a stat transfer. Uh, calling something stat gets you an immediate ambulance response. And guess what? Every transfer is then a stat transfer. Uh, you've got the stat BLS psychiatric transfer to a hospital three and a half hours away. Uh, you've got the stat orthopedic transfer for the broken toe that you know there is no way in heck an orthopedic surgeon is going to see this person tonight. Uh, 
Uh, as a matter of fact, they're probably going to get splinted at the uh, other hospital and then sent home with a, with a note to make an appointment with an orthopedist and that sort of thing. So the hospitals game the system. We've got a couple of, of hospitals uh, that, that do a really, really bad job of, of, uh, uh, of that sort of thing, and every transfer that goes out is, is stat. Um, so you get hit with those. But we also have a, a clear-cut policy on, on holdovers. Uh, generally speaking, uh, if your shift is, is near an end, uh, they don't hold us over for coverage. Um, if we, if we need to cover an area or whatever, they don't hold us over for that. They don't hold us over for non-emergent transfers like happened in this, in this call, uh, in Australia. Uh, Acadian does not do that to us. Um, on the other hand, if it's an emergency or a stat transfer, if you, if you get hit with that, well, you know, that's, that's, uh. Um, that's nature of the business sometimes. Um, and we also have a, a pretty, pretty good fatigue mitigation policy yeah. where if you say, you know, I'm tired, I am not safe. Uh, they're not going to question you. They're going to send you to a place where there's a bed and you're expected to be horizontal with your eyes closed for the next four hours and you're taken out of the system. Um, generally we have to be proactive about that and we can't refuse a call on that basis. You need to call dispatch and tell them that you're tired and fatigued. Uh, before you're assigned the call. Um, But, you know, uh, it it works out fairly well, but there are some trucks, you know, just by the the nature of their their, uh, location and and their their shift change times uh, during peak hours, you just kind of tend to get screwed a lot. Uh, Nature of the beast. I'm glad to be where I am now. (laughs) It could be better, but it could be a lot worse. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things to talk about. But just from the... From the article, uh, just so the listeners know, two Australian paramedics are under an investigation for misconduct. They refused to take a late call for after completing a 12-hour shift. The paramedics were reportedly concerned that their level of fatigue when they turned down the overtime work, you know, basically it was a non-emergent transfer to a patient's home. Yeah. You know, and I think there were a lot of things in what you said. And, you know, from the late call standpoint, from being a paramedic, there are just so many things that go into it. You know, when I worked in Fort Worth, I worked on a 12-hour truck, and I worked usually four days in a row. Uh, my shift for a long time was uh, Wednesday through Saturday, uh, mm-hmm. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and I liked it. It was a good shift. But one of the things that really came into play was when we got that late call, and that could have been, uh, you know, that could have been up to, you know, 30 minutes prior to our, our end of shift time. One of the things that I think went into this was, you know, we talk about fatigue. I had to be back in the morning at 7 a.m. So now if I'm taking a late call and I'm getting home two hours later, I have to do my nighttime routine at home. And I'm I'm cutting into my sleep time, which is going to make me fatigued the next day, which is going to bring my morale down, which is not going to make me very motivated. The other thing that I think was a big issue here as well is how we were being dispatched initially. You know, if I'm going to be off in uh, 45 minutes, why do you have me at the furthest post that when you give me my time, we used to call it code five, which means that go ahead and get to, you know, get to the post because you're going to be off. But now I'm driving through the whole city to get to the post so I can be off puts me sometimes as the closest ambulance. And I would now get that late call. So I think one of the things that goes into this as well is if you're in a post situation, 
yeah. I think that it, it's a little bit easy because one of the things we try to do from a station standpoint is we try to get there a little bit earlier for our partner. So, Kelly, you know as well as I do, 24-hour shifts, shift changes at 7. I try to get there at 6.30 just in case that late call comes out that you don't have to take it, and I'm going to go ahead and jump yeah, on that yeah. call and take it for you. But this was a really big sense of frustration because there would be times in the policies that you could be held up to two hours of your uh, overtime. Oh, yeah. But now when we start to think about this as a conundrum, how do we fix this? We talked about it from the paramedic side, but now from a leadership side, we really have to think about this from the standpoint of getting our people off on time. You know, we ask them to work really, really hard when they're on. As soon as you come on at 7 o'clock in the morning, until you get off at 7 o'clock at night or 7 o'clock the next morning, you know, you, you've signed up for whatever it is that happens, whether it's transfers, whether it's yeah. uh, uh, standbys, whether it's whatever it is. But where is our responsibility when 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. the next morning comes up that we don't take advantage of those employees either. And I don't know that the leadership aspect from uh, EMS is really doing enough to minimize these late calls to ensure that we're not being the cause of fatigue and we're not being the cause of low morale and and we're trying to keep and retain those high-performing employees. I just don't know that we're doing enough, Kelly. Yeah, and I think step one is is review your dispatch protocols uh, and make sure that you're not putting your your dispatchers and your field crews in adversarial positions. Uh, and I think that's a common thing in, in EMS. Uh, it's not unusual at all for field crews to loathe certain dispatchers. Uh, and, and well, to I be imagine that- to be fair, some of those dispatchers do take advantage of those positions for paramedics and EMTs they may not like that 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 I I do not uh, I do not disagree with that at all I would like to say for the record that I love my dispatcher my dispatcher is a wonderful person my dispatcher treats us well he's great smelling and a fine dancer as well <laughs> I love my dispatcher hear that hear that dispatcher love you love you man can't get enough of you um, but other dispatchers, yeah. Um, like <laughs> I, I've, I've been known to say that, uh, there are three types of dispatchers. There's the type a dispatcher who is the, the evil genius who screws you over because he has mastered the deployment system, uh, and, and that dispatch system. He knows the policies backwards, forwards, uh, and, and uses them, uh, to screw you over on a regular basis and he can get away with it. Uh, he's an evil genius. And then there are the amiable idiots, that's a type B dispatcher, who just screws you over on accident. They don't know any better because they're just, every day is a new day and every thought is a new thought. They're goldfishes. They, they have about three seconds worth of memory. Um, so, so they spend their entire 12-hour shift going, wow, look, a console and a keyboard. Hey, who put that there? A console, a keyboard. Whoa. Um, those are the type B dispatchers. Uh, and it doesn't do any good to get upset with those because, uh, they don't realize how stupid they are. And then there are the type C dispatchers, uh, type C dispatchers, uh, have all the knowledge of the system as the evil genius, but they're also compassionate and they take care of their crews and they don't 
run them too hard and they try to make the, sure the call load is 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 distributed equitably um those are the dispatchers you love to have and they do exist they just all happen to work the other shift so, that's right so yeah, what are they what are they they do exist they're unicorns they i all see work the other <laughs> shift. We, we know, know they exist them. but we don't see them that's right we, we know they exist we just don't ever get to work with them that's right. um but but you know i i gripe about dispatchers and i'm i'm as guilty as, as any paramedic of it uh but to be fair to them, uh, often they're, they are put uh, doing dubiously beneficial things because of policies that they have to follow as well. Their hands are tied uh, often the same way ours are clinically by protocols they don't particularly like or agree with. So I, I get that, and, and I try not to, to take it personally, even though my, my, my frustration may boil over occasionally. Right. Um, but that that is a management issue that since you were talking about management issues, how you mitigate those problems, um, look at your dispatch policy uh, and make sure that it doesn't set your communications people and your field people in adversarial positions uh, where you both require them to make stupid decisions based on dubious evidence. But I think one, um, of, the, one of the things that you need to do as well from a leadership standpoint is you need to be the quality control of that policy as yeah. well. So if, uh, you know, if I'm getting a long-distance transport two hours before my end of shift, I think that that's a problem. So can we hold that for another two hours, another hour? Mm -hmm. We've already held it for six hours, and now it's upgraded to a stat transfer. You know what? Yeah. That's just going to have to wait, man. I am, yeah. not sending a, I am not sending a crew that's been on for 22 hours on a, on a six-hour round tripper because the, you know, the queue is saying it's now a stat transfer. And you know, one of the things that we used to do as well uh, from your standpoint where you talked about upgrading it to a stat transfer is the dispatcher was charged with asking what is making this a stat transfer. Yeah. And if the answer wasn't appropriate, we got on the phone with our medical control to say they're going to upgrade this for a, a stat transfer. We just don't think it, it qualifies. Yeah. So it's true that you're, it's, you're right that, uh, you know, there are hospitals that try to game the system, but again, mm -hmm. that's where you need to put another pawn in the place that says, I'm going to counteract that stat transfer with, uh, we're not calling this stat. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, to your, but to your point as well is, we've got to be able now to, we write the policies, hopefully we're writing the policies with our workforce at the table, and they know what the policies are just as well as we do. But somebody has to be able to come up with a process to ensure that the policies are being followed. I used to exactly. say I used to say this all the time, Kelly. What's the process to ensure that our processes are working? And because if they're not working, that's where you go through the steps of problem solving. That's where you go through the steps of organizational redevelopment. And you have to come up with new policies. Just because you have a policy that you think is going to work doesn't mean that it's going to work once you put it into place. And if you're not looking at those processes to say, um, the, the, I need to change this process, we're just going to screw our workforce. Yeah. You know, I, and you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I was going to say that the devil is in the details. It's great to have a policy, but if the policy isn't followed or isn't implemented uniformly, uh, then it does you no good. Um, we have uh, physiologic criteria that should uh, that define what a stat transfer is. Um, and that's something that, you know, Acadian developed because hospitals had learned to game the system. Uh, the problem is, is, is not every dispatcher, um, 
uh, holds the the hospital's feet to the fire over that uh, over that physiologic uh, criteria. Uh, some of them just accept it as as stated, and uh, boom, it gets dispatched out as a stat transfer. Uh, and there have been situations where where I mean, literally, I've been w- running on duty for twelve hours. I am due to get off in twenty minutes, and I get a call for a stat transfer to a hospital four hours away, literally four hours away. So it's going to be probably a nine, maybe even a 10 hour round trip by the time you figure out uh, the traffic uh, in rush hour and, and, and refueling and patient handoff and everything. So is that true? Are you, are you getting calls like that? Uh, not at my current assignment, but in my old assignment. Yeah. I've, I've several times I've gotten calls where, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to crew change, um, I get a, a what's going to be a, a eight or nine hour round trip. Uh, oh, well, we don't have any choice. It dispatched out as a stat transfer. And then I get there and the dude has had an earlobe bitten off and he's going for reimplantation uh, of an earlobe, you know, and well, we're going cute. to try to reattach an earlobe eight hours after it happened. Uh, you know, and you call dispatch back and, and the good dispatchers will go, yeah, yeah, you're right. That makes no sense. Why don't you go ahead and get the paperwork started and we'll get the new crew on that's coming on duty in the next few minutes. We'll, we'll get them headed your way, um, and and just get it, get it done. Uh, and you can hand it off to them when they get there. Okay. Those things work. And other dispatchers will say, sorry, my hands are tied. Uh, um, and other dispatchers will say, Oh, sorry, our hands are tied. It's too bad, so sad for you. Oh, by the way, I get off in five minutes and uh, on time every time, uh, and, and they don't much care. Uh, luckily, we hadn't had to deal with some of those, but um, I have had those situations, man, and, and it, it is a soul-sucking, life-force-sapping grind to deal with that and know that it, that it happens. Um, we have... Uh, policies that we have procedures in place that allow us to question dispatch decisions you know one of the the disgruntled employees at at various ambulance services will tell you that and not just ours will will tell you that uh you know we're the only ones accountable for our uh, mistakes and and we're accountable for dispatches mistakes as well and blah 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 we're the only ones held accountable uh they get screwed up with impunity uh and it's not so the case here um if the dispatchers screw up and make you look bad or, or, or it results in, in, in adverse consequences for you, we have a mechanism where we can, we can uh, um, send something back and, and question the dispatcher's actions. Um, the question is, is, is uh, not all of our, our guys implement it. And transparency-wise, it's hard to know if anything was ever done about it. Uh, the, so, you know, my gripe would be that if you file out, fill out a, uh, complaint form on a dispatcher, um, you don't ever know if anything was done to the dispatcher and the people that think that dispatchers are out to get us, uh, will roll their eyes and say, sure. Yeah. You can fill out a complaint, but it'll never go anywhere. Um, I don't think that's the case, but a little, little better communication, uh, and a little feedback would, would, uh, from a management standpoint, would probably do a lot to ease those tensions between the crews and the communication center. You know, and I think, you know, one of the things that we should maybe put in place is that if you're uh, getting a late call, the dispatcher should stay as long as you're on. But uh, <laughs> uh, spoken like a true field provider, and I, and, and I love you for it, man. I, I think that's, that's uh, yeah, 
that that's the case. So, uh, but anyway, but one of the things that we need to think about from a leadership standpoint, as we talked a lot about that, is if your organization runs system status management, one of the things that we can do to help is we've got to make sure that when we're getting close to the off time, you know, that we start to move the crews closer to post. Usually in a system mm-hmm. status system status management organization, you know, there's only one post. And at MedStar, we had a post that was uh, in the middle, kind of the almost the middle of the city. But yeah. you, you could be 20 minutes north, 20 minutes south, 20 minutes east, 20 minutes west from that post. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we would need to be able to put in place is that at X amount of time, we need to start moving the crews closer to that post. If we leave them out in the outskirts and then we put them in code five, which means, uh, which meant that MedStar, hurry up and get back to post four because you're going to be off in 30 minutes. But if yeah. you're going to run through all those areas of city where those calls are coming out, then we've got a challenge. Number two is if you're in a 24-hour system, we need to be able to change the work hours or we need to be able to make sure that someone is there to um, uh, help those uh, help those yeah. crews. Don't don't have shift change during peak time. Exactly. So, but but another component to this as well is to look at your staffing plan. Sometimes we're just going to say, you know what, this is the number of ambulances that I'm going to need. You know what, during those peak times, have a different overlap. Put a put a, a, a rover truck on or put, uh, you know, a, an extra resource on during shift change times. You know, uh, when you're in a, in a high-performance EMS system, crews start to come on starting 4 o'clock in the morning till probably 10 o'clock in the morning and then mm-hmm. sporadically the rest of the day. And then it picks back up about 4 in the afternoon to 8 o'clock at night and then through sporadic through the night. If we need to add another resource or a couple of resources in that time frame, it may cost us a little bit more money, but we're thinking about the long run of lawsuits, of, of uh, hurting our providers, of hurting our patients. And really, where do we draw the line? It should always be at safety, Kelly. Yeah, and it should. Uh, the sad thing is is that many, many EMS systems that, that struggle with retention just simply don't recognize that. Uh, and and they they look at their their crews as a disposable workforce, uh, easily replaceable, uh, and that's why they always have problems. Um, they they pay them like they're disposable. They treat them like they're disposable, uh, and then they complain because they are understaffed uh, and they have morale problems, <laughs> and they they cannot see why that is. It's like you know why you have problem keeping people. And how how you're chronically understaffed because you suck and no one wants to work. So how do you do? How do you and how do they reward the employees that stay? They they hit them with mandatory overtime, uh, and, and that's the that sort of thing is the the kiss of death for a uh, abusive EMS system. After a while, it, it, that's not going to work anymore. If you look at uh, Greg's article uh, and he lists uh, some of the the steps or some of the things that. Uh, uh, came out of the 2018 EMS trend report and fatigue uh, in EMS. Um, items number three and item number four um, are particularly relevant to to changing the culture uh, in your agency and, and understanding what's important to 
your providers and your employees and making sure that you address those concerns. Uh, First of all, health and wellness is a culture change. You need to understand that that your current workforce is not going to uh, work itself to death out of pure company loyalty. Uh, It's not safe and it's not fair to them. Uh, Use your call data proactively to to change your resource allocation, change your shift times, actually use that information that you have at your fingertips to make things safer and better for your employees and and maybe change those policies that place your dispatch center and your your field crews in adversarial positions. Um, But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to know what you think. Send us your emails, thoughts, and comments at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Ciballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.